While the federal government and large corporations may dominate headlines about cyber attacks and disruptive system outages, state and local governments are far from immune to system failures and catastrophic downtime that affects the public's trust in government. On today's episode of Meritalking, I'm joined by Jim Richberg, the Public Sector Chief Information Security Officer at cybersecurity and networking firm Fortinet. We'll discuss how state and local governments can sort through federal cybersecurity guidelines to improve their cybersecurity posture and how to go beyond the traditional focus on attack response with a holistic approach that builds operational resilience into cybersecurity roadmaps. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Gail. It's great to be with you today. Let's get started. As cyber attackers target critical infrastructure and other systems that affect national security, the federal government has issued numerous cybersecurity mandates and guidelines to help federal agencies protect systems and data. But state and local governments are in the crosshairs of savvy attackers as well, and arguably those attacks could have a greater risk of severely impacting the daily lives of the people living in this country. Downtime alone can create huge gaps in the delivery of citizen services. What can state and local governments take from all of the information and guidance coming out of the federal government to improve their cybersecurity postures? That's a great question, Gail. So let me start by talking about what the federal government does in cybersecurity. It actually performs multiple functions in cybersecurity ranging from creating a national strategy that is not binding on the private sector, except if parts of it get put into regulation or legislation, more on that later in our conversation, I think, to providing a resource, ranging from threat intelligence and victim notification to sharing best practices, and of course, giving grant money. Now, most of these are intuitive things to talk about, but as you uh, intimated in the question itself, The U.S. government is complex and does a lot to focus on its own cybersecurity, which I know firsthand since I ran much of its whole of government initiative under Presidents Bush and Obama. Now, often overlooked is that power of what government does focusing on improving the security of its own networks and operations. For example, if you had told me when I helped the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, develop the original cybersecurity framework in 2014, that virtually every cybersecurity professional would, within a few years, be using its identify, detect, protect, respond, and recover paradigm. And if you're looking at what's going on with the framework, Govern will join that next year. I wouldn't have believed it. Similarly, there was an executive order on cybersecurity that President Biden signed in 2021 that sparked a lot of focus on zero trust. Now, in the wake of that executive order and this focus on things like zero trust, CISA, you know, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, has created a maturity model. I really like their maturity model because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach to cybersecurity. They've put out a technical reference architecture. NIST has put out standards and a technical reference architecture. And the Office of Management and Budget created a strategy which, although, again, it was intended for the federal government, in my opinion, is a good starting point for states and for larger local governments as well. So again, things the federal government did to up its game in federally focused cybersecurity turn out to be derivatively useful for people in state and local government as well. 
That's great. And there's certainly no shortage of resources for all types of governments to work with. And as we know, historically, cybersecurity has been a defensive endeavor with agencies taking action to stop an attack after it has already disrupted operations. How is this approach changing for state and local governments? So, okay, let me go back to the federal government again for a second. President Biden signed a new national cybersecurity strategy in March that it focused on a number of things, but one of the key ones was building operational resilience. Now, in my opinion, this is a good starting point because this reflects the reality that perfect defense, perfect cybersecurity is impossible. You can't protect what you don't know you have. People will make mistakes. Uh, because of technology and innovation, the attack surface is growing faster than your ability to comprehend and defend it. So you really need to say, I've got to minimize the likelihood and the impact of the inevitable conflict. We've already talked a little bit about this with zero trust, but frankly, the issue is broader. And it's broader in connection to state and local government when we start talking about things like infrastructure the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and the bipartisan infrastructure law have brought a lot of money to state and local government, whether they're going to spend it themselves, whether they're going to dole it out to private sector partners to execute. We are collectively spending several trillion dollars on refreshing a wide diversity of infrastructures in this country. And I doubt anybody listening to our podcast, Gail, would debate that there's such a thing as a purely brick and mortar infrastructure. Everything's got sensors and most things are networked, at least within their infrastructure and increasingly with other infrastructures as well. So state and local government have got to figure out how proactively to secure this expanded infrastructure surface or that we're setting ourselves up collectively to have real problems. We build the capability, the adversaries will certainly take advantage of. There are other facets where we can't be totally defensive and reactive as well. Uh, One of the hot topics these days, of course, is generative AI. Now, generative AI still may be something that is nascent within state and local government, but they certainly accelerated their use of a simpler form of that, robotic process automation, RPA, when COVID hit. Usually, they were automating well-understood tasks. But given where people are going on generative AI and the fact that you need to make data available for training, I would look to see this accelerate dramatically within government. Now, the question I would pose is, how do you safeguard citizen personal identifying information and preserve essential operations in government while still taking advantage of these new capabilities that people are talking about? So I think the bottom line, Gail, is the challenges are great which I think means state and local government need to be aware of two things. They need to be aware of the art of the possible in security, and they need to be aware of what is commercially available, what's commercially realistic, uh, as opposed to vendor hype. And with that knowledge, they can start to build this operational resilience into their cybersecurity roadmaps so they're not just reacting to a cyber incident but rather improving their ability to withstand it. Can you talk a little bit more about how state and local government tech teams can build this operational resilience into their cybersecurity roadmaps? 
So Gail, I, I think it actually starts earlier in the process with that. And I have this conversation with executives uh, on an ongoing basis. Uh, I mean, sometimes even with people who are appropriating the money. And, and this is the advice that I give. The first piece of advice is I say, recognize and work with technology trends. I mean, know what's happening and take advantage of it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight three of them here. One of them is the increasing convergence of networking and security. You know, for decades, we had this classic thing where networking and IT would create um, an innovation, and then we would try to bolt on security literally as it was shipped. And increasingly, we're starting to see that networking and security are two sides of the same coin. You see that strongly in areas like software-defined network, which is a part of everything from 5G networking for some of the biggest carriers to a whole lot of cloud solutions. And let me pull out the example of software-defined wide area or SD-WAN. This is a part of resilience because it gives you multiple ways to do connectivity, multiple ways to provide service, and in fact, to, at a very granular level, say, I'm going to prioritize our ability to collaborate on this kind of podcast and not have the bandwidth get choppy and make my voice sound like Max Headroom. And yeah, that means I'm going to set social media updates at a lower priority. So you can do that. It offers you multiple avenues for connectivity. It enables the agencies and the users to be in control. And on the security side, it supports things like zero trust because it's about enabling connectivity between users, data, and compute resources to enable these connections to be ubiquitous, because you've got multiple ways to ensure that they occur and to have them be secure. Another hot tech trend, um, AI and machine learning. Automated AI-driven networking is the way that software-defined networking works. Something that can look in real time and say, whoops, we have a problem going with path A, I'm gonna use a little bit of path B, and oh, uh, we don't have enough of that to go around, I'm gonna add some of C and maybe even D. These recognize that increasingly networking and security are allies. They're, they're things that are really sometimes the same device can do both functions. Consolidation is another trend I would point out. And that comes in two different flavors. There's technical consolidation. I'm sure everybody listening to this is familiar with Moore's Law, that processing power seems to grow exponentially over time. But the reality is new products are not only faster, they often perform a wider variety of functions. Increasingly, we're replacing single devices with what are essentially Swiss army knives of functionality. That's one kind of consolidation. What you buy uh, can actually replace a whole lot of things in your infrastructure, which can simplify, can enable you to build operational resilience because I don't have to manage a hundred separate things. The second one, which is related to that, is market consolidation. Increasingly, you're seeing fewer vendors, uh, by people buying each other out, and the emergence of ecosystems of interoperability, which Gartner Research in 2021 coined uh, the term cybersecurity mesh architectures to describe. The reality is they didn't just start in 2021. Fortinet's been building its own version, which we call the security fabric, for nearly a decade by this point. Now, what enables these cybersecurity mesh architectures to work is that AI and ML that I've already mentioned, which again, despite the hype around generative AI is not a new thing. The fact that we in the cybersecurity industry have been doing this at increasing speed and increasing breadth for a decade means that we have instrumented 
these platforms, we've instrumented these ecosystems of interoperability. We turn size and complexity of the attack surface from a liability, I don't know what I don't know, overwhelmed by data and complexity, into an advantage because AI and ML work on big data. And this enables an enterprise to say, I have the data that AI and ML can crunch in real time. I know what normal looks like. I know what's abnormal that's happening. And machine learning is really good at telling me this is not only abnormal, this is potentially or definitely malicious. These are the kind of trends that are important. Now, the other bits of advice, Gail, that I give to organizations who are talking about how they want to build resilience in cybersecurity is enlist allies. Because the reality is the benefits of establishing operational resilience actually extend beyond enhancing security. If you build resilience, the ability to withstand a denial of service or to recover from a ransomware event, the odds are really good that same kind of operational resilience can also help you withstand other kinds of disruptions like pandemic or like a weather-related disaster or a communications outage. They can help with cost. Having multiple options and flexibility can be cheaper. Uh, being able to have three different communications paths rather than one that I need to make sized for peak demand is a money saver. Similarly, having hybrid offices organizations have already realized was cheaper than having brick and mortar facilities where everybody came into. And there's performance advantages that come from having this kind of operational resilience as well. And clearly, we've talked about multiple paths allow you to avoid a single point of failure. And this can be more responsive. We certainly saw this in the organizations that were the most successful in dealing with the pivot to remote work during COVID. Um, the ability to support flex workers, to generate this kind of robotic process automation, to give citizens kind of services they need to be able to access over the internet, the ability to work with data in the cloud. These are the things where if you frame the conversation as about more than security, these mission stakeholders are going to say, oh yeah, I see this. And, and let me go back to Zero Trust for a final moment here. Zero Trust is ultimately about users, it's about devices, it's about data, and it's about compute resources. And if you make the conversation with these stakeholders about how to enable those elements to connect and talk to each other, regardless of their location, you're making the conversation about more than security, more than th things you need to do to secure the enterprise. You're making this about how these stakeholders can enable new services or more efficient operations. So the reality is people doing cybersecurity have got to be aware of this is something that you need people skills to be able to be really effective in this. It's not just about delivering technical solutions. It's about having a broader conversation about being a genuine part of a team in government. As you were talking, I was just had that same thought that it's really about IT partnering with the business to not only enable cybersecurity, but also enable better citizen service, greater employee productivity, all of these benefits that come along with better connectivity, uh, better use of data, and better cybersecurity. And Gil, we certainly saw that when COVID hit, you know, because this is one where IT and security went from being sort of the mission enablers that, you know, people paid lip service to, to being essential. That if organizations didn't have the ability 
to send people home, to give them the connectivity, and oh, by the way, to say that what I'm doing is secure, then when people went into lockdown, they would have gone into shutdown. And the fact that they didn't made people realize, yes, these people are actually able to keep us up and running. And then with things like robotic process automation, when demand for things like unemployment um, insurance went up 3,000%, and you couldn't deal with that with people alone, you were able to throw technology at the problem, not to replace people, but to enable them to keep their heads above water. So yeah, build on the fact that we got recognized as part of the mission team. Build on that going forward. That's the advice I give cybersecurity people is don't let the conversation devolve back to just about what do I need to do for cybersecurity? What do you need to do for my cybersecurity? Make this about the things you can enable them to do that transform what they're doing. Get citizens excited about the kind of services. It's like they look for things like this when they deal with the private sector. Increasingly, they're looking for these same kinds of services from government. So security can help to deliver those kinds of services. That's great. And let's talk a little bit about funding. It's always an issue. Uh, you mentioned the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which allocates funding for state and local governments to improve cybersecurity, among other things. How should agencies approach tapping into available funding and procurement for building operational resilience? Leverage ongoing activity. Odds are really good that someone may already be doing something in your organization that helps build resilience. Could be migration to the cloud, could be you know, adopting something as a service where you can build security effectiveness off of something somebody else is already planning to do, probably already paying for. So part of this funding effectiveness is if I can find somebody else who's already paying the bill or already doing something and I can help shape the effectiveness, that's an easy win uh, for the security but, you know, let me get to your central point now, Daniel. And, you know, we talk about people, process, and technology in cybersecurity all the time. And I think for state and local government, the biggest challenge I encounter is actually effective procurement. It's helping people be efficient at spending the money, in part because we have a shortage in state and especially local government of people who are not only procurement experts, but who understand cybersecurity. They understand how to articulate the requirements in a way that delivers effective cybersecurity and that the vendors say, oh, yeah, I know what to, I'm not just throwing spaghetti at the wall. I know what they're really looking for. I know what to bring forward. And that's a challenge for updating cybersecurity itself. But again, you may have people who develop expertise in that. We're refreshing a lot of infrastructure at the same time. And that's where it gets really hard. How do I expect the person who's doing the refresh of my dams, the highway project where I have to put sensors in the bridge, how do I expect them to know what the cybersecurity of the sensors that are connected to the internet should look like? I shouldn't expect each of them to invent the wheel. Now, Fortinet has a commitment to corporate social responsibility, to trying to be a good corporate citizen. And as part of that posture, I sit on numerous advisory boards and councils, and I have continuing dialogue with the federal government. And as I think it's been clear, U.S. government does a lot on cybersecurity, including things it does to secure its own networks that it ends up buying solutions for. So it sets contract requirements that vendors deliver to. So one of the ideas we've been working on is, why don't we 
see if the federal government can share the non-sensitive contract language with state and local government. We're not proposing that they'd be required to use anything, but why reinvent the wheel? If, for example, the General Services Administration has got requirements on securing smart building sensors, why don't you make that available for state and local governments who are both focused on the same problem and who, as I said, in the use the bridges and highways example, securing those sensors is probably not dissimilar from securing my smart building sensors. Don't ask somebody to reinvent the wheel. The federal government has already invented a whole tire shop's worth of wheels. Share it with them. The other thing when we talk about cybersecurity procurement is everybody goes back to the state and local government grant program of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. A billion dollars sounds like a lot of money, and it is to you and me. But if you look at that as something that is a portion of a $1.2 trillion package, on the face of it, it's obvious that this is not going to fund everybody to develop cybersecurity solutions. As a matter of fact, the first year of the state and local grant program funding was really directed solely at states, and it was about, no pun intended, building the infrastructure to think about infrastructure having a state governance plan, having a strategy, putting together the kinds of committees to do it. Now, after the first year, local government can directly apply for this as well. And the reality is, based on the data I've seen to date, not all jurisdictions are utilizing the share of the uh, state local grant program that would go to them. So Fortinet has experts who can help you with that process. They won't write your grant proposal for you, but They'll help you identify the relevant pockets of money because they go, again, beyond the IIJA. There are things like E-rate that can help for schools. There are resources that we can point you to that can help you identify the funds and help you effectively compete for them. So yes, procurement funding is the biggest challenge, not only finding it, uh, but then once you have it, effectively executing on it. Thanks for sharing that about Fortinet's resources. I think we were aware of some of them, but perhaps not aware of all of the things that you can do to help. So thanks for that. And we talked about the federal cybersecurity mandates and how they're trickling down to state and local government to support cybersecurity initiatives. And uh, you mentioned the national cybersecurity strategy, which is heavily focused on building public-private partnerships to strengthen our nation's security. Are there ways that state and local governments can get involved in partnership initiatives to support their cybersecurity efforts? Well, yeah, Gail, as you pointed out, public-private partnership, sector partnership is a focus of the national cybersecurity strategy. My bottom line on this for the, the listeners would be to say, you're not in a position of having to go it alone, either within government or the vendor community that supports you. Uh, the federal government has partnerships ranging from things they can give you on threat intelligence to sharing things uh, through information sharing and analysis centers. The strategy had an important part of it, the idea that we have collectively had a market failure on cybersecurity, that doing cybersecurity has been voluntary, or some organizations did the right thing, did cybersecurity, they literally pay a price to do so and others were free riders. They didn't do it, and that it was time to level set. And the strategy talks about two important concepts, secure by design and secure by default. And they basically pin the rows on companies like Fortinet, the IT and security sector, to say, 
you need to deliver products that are inherently secure. We shouldn't leave it to people. We shouldn't leave it to the least capable, the individual users and local governments to have to get everything right for us to be collectively secure. This is crazy. Those who are in a position to affect the way things operate should take this on as just a mandatory part of their business. So the strategy says, hold us accountable for doing it. Okay, state and local government, as we start executing collectively on this strategy, hold us accountable, look for it. And that should be especially true for companies like Fortinet that are broad within security and they work in both networking and security. And don't take our word for it. When we say we do something, look for third-party testing. And then ideally, run the test of something in your own environment. We have a robust program at Fortinet we call CTAP, where we'll set up equipment and let it run. And invariably, organizations are surprised by what it finds and how it performs. So I guess my bottom line on all of this, Gail, is the strategy is really setting this up to be a broad partnership within government and with the public and private sectors. And in closing this out, the advice I would give is break the problem into bite-sized chunks. And that applies whether your problem is building capacity, generating specific solutions, or funding them. Recognize that even though you may be working on something technical, you need to leverage those people and those organizational skills. Build a coalition and recognize that since the benefits extend beyond security, you likely have allies, certainly who have equities and potentially who have resources. And too often in government, I say this as someone who spent 30 plus years in government, we're behind the leading edge of technology compared to what the private sector has. So try to find a source that you trust, whether an online resource or ideally a person or an organization to help you understand the art of the possible in terms of cybersecurity solutions. Jim, wow, you've given us so much to think about today. You've really helped us connect cybersecurity and operational resilience in actionable ways so state and local governments can meet today's cyber threats head on and perhaps even get ahead of them. I hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks, Gail. This has been a pleasure. I look forward to continuing the dialogue with you, and I'm happy to follow up with anyone listening to the podcast. Well, that's all for today. To learn more about how Fortinet supports government, visit fortinet.com slash government. Have a great day.